All right, well, um, last time we talked about, I think I, I called that class, just because it came to my mind, I called it Before the, before the Shadows, and we talked about how um, there is, there is, um, you know, from man's perspective, we're born into a realm, a world that God considers to be God and and I think anyone that's seeing with his light starts to understand to be a realm of shadows, natural shadows, um, natural pictures of eternal things. When God created the earth, he didn't just he wasn't just experimenting. He wasn't obligated to do it. But the universe, I believe you could say, is a is a realm of, of self-expression, self-communication. We talk, you know, it says in the Psalms, um, you know, the world, how does it say, the heavens declare the glory of the, of the Lord, the earth pours forth its his speech. And, and what does that mean? Well, that means that creation, the natural creation, is uh, in, in so many different ways, not just a... It's not like an aquarium that God set up to put people and animals in and then kind of watch them like my kids do with salamanders uh, and toads. It's, it is a, uh, it's like a big canvas onto which God has painted these living pictures of his own nature, his own ways, his own eternal purpose more than anything else i would say that the natural creation is a is a natural picture of his eternal purpose in a new creation and so there's there's pictures of good things in it and there's pictures of bad things in it but all of them are pictures of eternal spiritual realities i mean there's there's two sides of the cross and so there's always in in whether you're talking about the stories or the natural creation there's dark and there's light there's Saul and there's David you know there's there's Jacob and there's Esau there's there there's uh, deserts and there's water you know so so in 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 the natural creation there's all these um, these these pictures and I call them shadows because the the Bible does but just because shadows are, are we can understand that shadows contain something of the image of the substance but not the substance itself. You know, you look at a shadow and, and and it, in a lot of ways, testifies of the substance, but it never, ever, ever, we don't seem to get this, so I'm stressing it, ever contains the substance itself. So, we're, we're, we, we like to say, and this is kind of, I'll, I'll, this is a little bit of a review of last week, but I'll be done here in a second with this part. We like to say that that it's that, that the spiritual is more real. I think almost every Christian would, would agree with that. But we don't really like that fact. We don't like that the spiritual is most real because to our hearts, the natural is by far more important and more real. And so when we approach Scripture, when we approach a relationship with God, we always start off, everyone does, totally backwards and what comes to our mind when it comes to spiritual things relationship with god reading the bible you know whatever is how can i get spiritual things to be my earthly experience instead of how can i leave behind the earth in my heart and dwell in and know and see and abide in spiritual reality 
almost all of religion is an attempt. When I say religion, I mean that which has its origin in, in man's mind. Uh, all of religion has its... It can be defined by an attempt to somehow grab onto God or His promises or His blessings or His scriptures or His righteousness or whatever and pull it down into... Well, basically humanize it. You know, naturalize it. Uh, bring it into the fallen world of shadows and, and, and worship it as a natural thing. We do that with the church. That's what, we, that's what the church mostly is. I mean, just not to be mean or anything. I'm not trying to be uh, judgmental or, or critical. I, I just feel like, I mean, I, I can say this about myself too. It's just that's what, that's what man does. It, man creates towers of Babel. That's what uh, I was reading last night in this book about Babylon. That's what, what is Babylon? Except it is man's attempt to copy Zion. Do you, know, you know what I mean? In, in all the scriptures that talk about Babylon, it's the human counterpart of a spiritual... It's a human version, a natural version, using natural, using man's resources and ideas and religion and power and, and false unity to, to build um, something that man calls a spiritual city. You know, a spiritual church, a spiritual whatever. And, and, and then on the other hand, there's, there's the, the heavenly Jerusalem. Um, there's Zion. And, and that is purely spiritual. It's Christ all and in all. It has Christ as its substance, its source, its purpose, its fountainhead. You know, it, has, it, it is this, this body of, of, of spiritual reality. Anyway, I say all that just to review, just to say that we're facing in the wrong direction. And that is something that only the light of Christ can correct. You cannot just decide you're going to face in the other direction. You don't even know what spiritual reality is. Let alone how to let spiritual reality bring your heart out and dwell in it. When I say spiritual reality, I'm just being Christ. But I'm trying to make a contrast between natural and spiritual. Um... So, okay, that was my, my, my little review. And so what, as we get into talking about the, fun, the, the, the eternal purpose of God, the, the primary thing that's on his heart, uh, we're, we're going to have to at least, I mean, like I just said, the Spirit's got to make this real in our hearts, but at least we can try to turn our hearts to whatever degree we can to face in the right direction and not face in the, the absolute backwards direction. I wrote down a list here of just some fundamental things that we need to, to understand. I think probably next week we'll get we'll get into the the creation of the church or how God how God brought it into existence. And and that's I don't mean a history lesson. I don't I'm not talking about like Paul's missionary journeys. I'm talking about the actual way that God opened up his eternal unbegotten son and led us into him to, to, to participate in his life and to become the vessel of his glory. That, so we'll look at that a little bit next week. But there's a few things that I think are, are for, for me, they're fundamental and they're, they're, they're kind of like building blocks upon which everything else kind of sits. The first thing that I wrote down here 
is that we have to know that that God's involvement with us, or you could say the reality of salvation, is an exodus. We have to understand. That. I mean, it's definitely an entrance too, and and, and in some ways the in, the entrance is more important than the exodus. But but you have, and, and well, that's because the entrance into Christ, the entrance into the promised land, is is the, is the also the exodus. They're they're kind of one and the same thing. But if we don't understand um, that that our experience of salvation is an exodus. It's a leaving behind. It's a coming out of something that we've called our life. That we've called our country, kindred, and father's house. That we've called what we think relationship is. What we think purpose is. What we think life is. I mean, just the most basic... The most basic things that humans define in their heart 5,000 times during the day without even thinking about it. You're going... Salvation is going to bring you out of those things. Salvation is going to bring you out of that light by which you saw those things. Salvation is going to is going to make those things dead to your heart in a way. Not that they don't exist, but they're not life. They're not where life is found. They're not where life, how life is known. Salvation is going to bring you out. And 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 guys, the stories about this in the in the Old Testament, well, the old and new. When you look at the Old Testament. There's all these, these all, you know this, but there's all these stories of people that the focus of the story, and, and really you have to be blind to miss it, and yet everyone misses it because we are blind. Until the Lord begins to deal with your heart about this, and then, you, then it starts popping up in every story. There's this coming out of everything that, human, that the human being has known. Abraham. The first thing God says to Abraham, get thee out of thy country, kindred, and father's house. In the King James language, it sounds a little more authentic. Uh, get out, you know, of your of your country, the place you call your home, your kindred, the people you call your home, your father's house. You know, that I think that speaks of the inheritance, that the things that, that are yours based on being in that home. Get out of all of it and then go to a, to a land that I'm going to have to show you. I can't give you a map there because because it's not anything that natural eyes can see. In fact, when he gets there, he doesn't really understand where he is or, or why it's great. Because um, he, he quickly leaves and goes to, to Egypt and has to be sent back. Abraham, Lot, get out. Don't take anything with you, get out. Don't even look back because it's a place that's been condemned. Israel, get out of Egypt. I'm not fixing Egypt. You're getting out of Egypt. And, 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 and don't let your heart live in those uh, flesh pots and the leeks and onions and garlics and all the imaginary things that you thought were better about uh, Egypt. Get out. Get out. Uh, Rebecca, you know, Jacob says, this is from our Sipes and Shadows class recently. We, we talked about this. Don't, don't let my son morning don't let my son go back to that land you go it says to his servant go get a bride that's willing to come out you know don't and he says swear to me that you won't send my son back there that you'll go there and see if there's anyone that's willing to come out of there and come here it's the same thing with with rachel jacob goes into that land 
of Laban, that hostile, you know, manipulative environment, and, and pulls out Rachel. And before she goes, she says, what inheritance do I have here? Is not my inheritance with you? You know, I have nothing left of my father's house. And, and uh, she does, however, steal the idols, but that's another story. Uh, but she, the point is, she comes out. She comes out. Rahab. What's the story of Rahab? Rahab, you know, Naomi says, go to your people. I have no more sons in my womb that I can, that I can give to you. You know, and she says, no. Um, no, I'm sorry, Rahab. I'm thinking, I was thinking of, um, help me out. Ruth. Ruth, thanks. It's the same thing with Ruth. Same thing with Rahab, too. You know, well, finishing up with Ruth, Ruth, you know, says, no, no, your, your land will be my land, your people, my people, your God, my God. I'm, going, I'm leaving everything behind, and I'll find everything anew in this new place of Israel. And then we could have mentioned Rahab, too, because Rahab says, look, I know that this whole land is under the judgment of God, and I'm not going to try to protect it. I just ask that when you destroy it, you take me out of it with you. You know, and so she paints the blood on her door. Well, in her case, it's a it's a red cord, but it's the same picture. She she paints this judgment over over her door, and and, and then when they come in and slaughter everyone in that city, the one that's already been slaughtered and the lamb lives and comes out, and 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 Christ's genealogy is traced from her, which is interesting too. So, um, my point is. We, we just have, and, and, and I stress this here at the beginning because you just don't see many Christians talking about an exodus. And if you do, it's, it's just an exodus out of a certain kind of behavior. You know, it's an exodus out of a sinful life. It's an exodus out of a, you know, naughty past or whatever. But it's not an exodus out of a country, kindred, and father. It's not an exodus out of a world that's condemned, that God's not even trying to fix, He's trying to... That's what the church is. It is a people called out of the earth. They're not of the... I mean, you could take this right into the New Testament and look at a bunch of scriptures where, where Paul says, we've been raised up, raised out. We're now citizens of heaven. We're not, we're not... We don't belong to the earth. We have a time period where we have this treasure in natural vessels. But even so, that's not our true home. We're out of it. We're strangers in the world. Um, therefore, do not fix your mind on things below because that's not where you are. I mean, you don't act like mere men because you're not I mean the whole New Testament is this proclamation Jesus says it probably clearer than anyone you know you're you know you're not of the world in the same way that I'm not of the world so Old Testament New Testament no matter where you go you're going to see this reality that God's dealing with the human soul is sending something into this world into this realm not to beautify that fallen realm but to call out from it those who will come and live in his realm which is a person and that person is obviously Jesus Christ to live in him and to know Christ not just as the deity that saved us but as the world the life the light the 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 universe of of love and truth and spiritual reality in which we live and dwell and have our being um okay so that was one of my fundamental things another one therefore the bible is 
the, it, it's really just two things. It's 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 not complicated, and, and and if you read the Bible and feel like it's complicated, it's just because you're seeing it with the with the wrong mind, and that's okay. I, I do it I do it every single day. I, I read it and find things that I don't understand, and I know that I'm just not seeing it clearly, and so I just keep reading until the Lord has something that He is able to show me with where I am in my heart. But when you see the Bible clearly, I think that you see very simply that it's. In the Old Testament, it is a declaration in shadows of what was coming. And in the New Testament, it is a proclamation of what has come. Okay, And it's just that simple. A declaration of what was coming in the, in the Old Testament is incredibly valuable. And I, I would maybe say, I know, I don't want to really want to say like one is more valuable than the other, but I would definitely say that the Old Testament is a much more detailed and full description of Christ than we have in the New Testament. Because it's that's what it is. I mean, it's just a it's thousands of God-designed pictures of what is now a spiritual reality in your soul, whether you've seen it or not. And the New Testament, it doesn't doesn't get into all those types and shadows, but it gets into a bunch of them and just says, "Look, this is now your life. This is now real in you because Christ is in you. And so, and I want to say something here. The New Testament, because I hear people say this and I just want to, I just want to kind of nip it in the bud a little bit. The New Testament is not the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Okay? That's just not true. The fulfillment of the Old Testament is the new life or the new man or the new light or Christ that the New Testament declares to have come. But but you the, the new the New Testament can't fulfill it's just words. It can't be the fulfillment. It just declares these old things as being fulfilled and points you to the place, the person in whom they're fulfilled and the place where that person lives. But, but you can't just say, oh yeah, the new, well, there's some saying about it, the new is the old fulfilled and the old is the new something, I don't know, but, but it's not. The new is not the, the, the new covenant you could say is the fulfillment of the old Testament. You could say that the new man is the fulfillment of the old covenant or the old testament. You could say that a new life or the new Jerusalem or the whatever. You could say all that is the fulfillment because those are all spiritual realities of Christ. But the New Testament, you can't just like connect the dots and say, like, okay, well, this one points to this verse in Romans. I figured that one out. And then this this one points to that one in Ephesians. And boy, we're just I'm connecting all the dots. I feel really knowledgeable. Well, that kind of knowledge puffs up. And uh, as Isaac Pennington said, puffs you up and fattens you for the slaughter. <laughs> I read that last night and laughed out loud. True knowledge is when the substance becomes the living reality of the soul. Okay, so... The Bible is two things, the declaration of, of what was coming in shadows, the shadows of, that declare what was coming, and, and the proclamation of what um, has, has now come. All right, the third thing, and, and, uh, and just, I mean, I think all of these are vital, but this may be the, 
the most vital in my in my heart. Christ Himself is the substance, the spiritual essence of all spiritual things. Christ isn't just the best spiritual thing. He's not just the leader of all spiritual things, you know. He is the he is the substance, the, the living definition. He gives all of these things, when I say things, all of the pictures of him, all the words that describe him, he gives, he gives them their substance and definition. They don't define him. He defines them. We need to understand that about words. words. You can read a bunch of words and you can memorize those words and you can think that because you've memorized those words that you understand Christ. But it's just the other way around. You know Christ and then for the first time you can understand the words. Because, Christ, because these words don't define Him. They can't define Him. You know, it's it's kind of like to use a kind of a crude analogy, like um, a marriage, you know, like my, my relationship with Jesse. I can, I can write down on this chalkboard behind me a, a bunch of words that describe my relationship with Jesse, but that's not, but the words don't describe the relationship. What I mean, what I really mean by those words is what the relationship is. You know what I mean? So I have to experience, if I experience that relationship, then I can look at those words and say, oh yeah, I told you, that, that makes sense now because I'm living that. You know what I mean? It's hard, it's hard to put into words, but what I'm trying to say is that we, we don't even understand the true meaning of the scripture is the appearing of Jesus Christ. That's the meaning. Someone says, you know, well, what does this word mean here? What, is, what does righteousness mean? And, and, and then a, a well-meaning Bible scholar or pastor says, well, that's a good question. Let's look it up. And you pull out, you know, Strong's or Unger's or whatever, some Bible dictionary, and you look it up, and there's righteousness, and it, and it, it quotes a few different scriptures, and you say, well, now I understand what righteousness is. No, you don't. Don't be deceived. Christ Himself. When you, when you see righteousness in the face of Jesus Christ, then you can return to that scripture with some understanding. And until then, that scripture is testifying out from the the substance in order to bring you back into it. Does that make sense? Words come out from Him who is the definition to try to pull you back in and see those words fulfilled in Him. I hope that makes sense. Because I can't say it much better than that. Words come out, and that's what Christ the Word, that's why Jesus is called the Word. He's called the Word because He's the living definition. He's the, he's the one living definition of all spiritual things. If you were to ask God to define love, He would not do it with words, he would just point to his son. Because there's the living definition. If you were to ask God to define truth, he wouldn't give you a list of true things that testify of Christ. He'd just say, know him. You know him, you know the truth. 
If you were to ask God to define anything that he has testified of in scriptures, he would say, I... And he would he would he might even quote to you Hebrews chapter one verse one. In many times in former days I have I have spoken in many ways in diverse forms. But in these but at the end of those days I have spoken in son. In son. That's what it should say. I mean most Bibles change it to in the son or even a worse translation is he has spoken by his son, which is which is not what the Greek reads, nor is it what the Lord intends, because the communication of God in our covenant isn't Jesus speaking to you, but God showing you His Son, who is the fullness of everything God's ever said about a kingdom, about a light, about righteousness, about a covenant, about everything. Okay? So... The church, therefore, as we'll see, and this is going to be super important to us because we're looking at the church, we're looking at the eternal purpose of God fulfilled in this corporate thing, this corporate body that receives his love and and bears his glory. That's kind of how we described in, in, in a few words the eternal purpose of God. It's, it's going to have, it's going to be defined by a person. It's going to be defined by, in the same way that John, you've heard this scripture, you've heard this preached a million times, I know, but... John hears a, hears a voice, he turns to see what spoke to him, and he sees seven candlesticks. And, 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 and like we've, we've talked about before, he, he could have stopped right there. He could have just turned back around and preached the seven candlesticks. But he kept looking. And he looked and he saw in the midst of the, of the, seven, the, the substance of the ca- seven candlesticks, the thing that, that gave them life, and the thing that gave them light was... One like a son of man in the midst of the candles, and 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 so he sees the church defined by the person, and and I mean there's so much we we can say about that we need to say about that we we, we will I guess um, say more, but I just want you to understand um, in in this class here that the church, what's the boundaries of the church? Is it how many people are involved? No. It is the measure of Christ involved in those people. What, how big is the church? Is it, is it how many nations have heard the gospel preached? Or, or No, the answer is no. It is the measure of Christ operating in those ones who have heard and received him. Do you see the difference? I'm, it's not what we bring and add to him. It's what he works of himself in us. So the boundaries of his body are the boundaries of his life working in the body. So so if I had... You know, if you took a, like, this is gross, but if you took a cadaver and, and you took off an arm and you stuck it on me and you, you made another green sleeve that l- looked like this and you, you, you know, had it on there, rolled up or whatever, and it looked just exactly like mine, you could not say that I have added anything to the body of Jason. Why? Because anything that is not 
living by my life. It doesn't matter if it looks exactly like me or, or, or if it's the same as, a, as uh, the rest of my body or arm. If it's not... Because my, the boundary of my life, wherever you stick that arm, the boundary of my life is the boundary of my body. So my ring isn't my body. And my clothes, that's not part of my body. Why? You know, you could put a thousand fake arms. You could, you could get the best wax sculpture guy that can make my head look more real than my head and and put it on me and you know with super glue all over and there's only one of those that's my head and it's the one that's defined by my life and that's how the church is the church we look at all these things that man has added to our church in their in their in their blindness has attempted to add to the church and we say look at the church look how big it is, look how great it is, or look how horrible it is, look how divided it is. We have all these things, and we've just stuck them on with super glue, and because of our own ideas about what the church was. And we look at it, and some people say, it's great, it's beautiful, look, it's growing. And then some people say, it's horrible, it's disgusting, look, it's shrinking. And then some people, we have all these opinions based on all of these things that we've put, tried to put onto it, and yet... It hasn't changed one bit unless the life is taking more ground. Because the church is defined by the boundaries of the life. The life defines, the person defines the church. Okay? And, and therefore, when we're... When, when, we're, when we're looking at Fulfillment, because we're going to see we're going to see a bunch of pictures of God. God painted. I mean, and, and, and I'm thankful to Him for it. He painted a whole bunch of pictures of this eternal purpose, and He did it from this angle, and He did it from this angle, and He did it from this angle, did it from this angle, and 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 some of those pictures, as we've talked about, are have to do with a kingdom, or have to do with a bride, or have to do with a. Uh, a, a, a city or have to do with a harvest or whatever. And, and in, the, in the natural mind and in, and in the natural church, um, those are all separate things. Those are all different things. The harvest is a bunch of people that get saved, right? The kingdom is, depending on your church background, it's either a place in Jerusalem, it's a... I mean, there's so many different views of the kingdom. It's not 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 worth going through them. You know, the the bride of Christ is God's love affair with my natural man, basically, not my flesh. But the people wouldn't say my flesh, but they would say me. He loves you just like you are. He's ravished for you. He's after. He's pursuing you. He wants to be enthroned upon your affections and all that kind of stuff. Um, that's not that's not true. So, what I'm trying to say is, all of these things in the natural mind are defined by some view of man. But in God's heart, the fulfillment is in Christ, and it is Christ. And this is this is something. I don't know if I can draw this here in a way that can be seen on the board, but you know, we talked about here's Christ. And, and, and here's all these, well, and, and then here's the world, 
of that's the world, okay? And and, and the, the the substance is here in Christ. The world has a bunch of arrows that testify to that substance. Right? So um Christ, or God's eternal purpose in Christ, projects shadows in this direction, and all of the shadows testify back in this direction. Okay? So the world, and that cannot be, yeah, I kind of can actually. So the, so the world, everything that happens here, so words come out from Christ, for instance, and are spoken here about God, and, and the fulfillment of those words is here. And and natural things like sunrises and 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 uh, and and butterflies and all those things we always talk about, they, they are here. But, but but the fulfillment of those things is here because the fulfillment has to be of the nature and substance of, of the thing that God is bringing us into, not the shadow realm. And then you could say all of God's. Dealings with Old Covenant Israel, the tabernacle and the feasts and the offerings and all of that. The, he painted the pictures here, but the fulfillment is never here. And I know that sounds so simple, but we once again, we just don't believe it. Or maybe we believe it as an idea, but when we start looking for the fulfillment of things that were written in the Bible, we look to the wrong realm. If and we talked about this a little bit last week, we say, uh, you know, when is this scripture going to be fulfilled? We don't even think about in who it is fulfilled or what the substance. Of. We just want to know when. And when we ask when it's fulfilled, then what we're actually asking is. What natural thing is going to be here the fulfillment of something God spoke here? Well, the things that God spoke of testified to here, the fulfillment is never going to be in that realm. Does that make sense? I don't know how to say it in a, in a, in a, in a stronger way. The true fulfillment is always some aspect or reality of Christ. And therefore, the experience of that fulfillment Flip to any page in the Bible, any picture, any prophecy, I promise you one thing. The fulfillment of it is a spiritual reality, even if there was a natural manifestation of it. Because, for instance, um, you know, God spoke of a natural uh, judgment and restoration of Israel. And there was a natural judgment and, and restoration of Israel in the Babylonian captivity or whatever. The the true the, there was a testimony of the fulfillment here, but again, that testimony spoke beyond its day, beyond its covenant, and beyond its realm of a spiritual reality that is only fulfilled in Christ, and it's always that way. And and so the true the true fulfillment of everything is like the true fulfillment of judgment is not. God blowing up the earth. It's, or the true fulfillment of love is not God giving me a uh, new car. Or the true fulfillment of, of, of anything, it's not found in the realm of testimony. The fulfillment of it is found in Christ, as Christ. 
And therefore, the, the experience of that fulfillment is going to be internal and spiritual. There might be testimonies of it in the external, I mean in the natural realm, but the true substance, the place where the rubber hits the road, the place where the, 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 the testimony becomes an eternal reality is in Christ, in you. And, I, and like I said last time, you say that to most Christians and they feel like you're taking it away from them. They feel like you're, you're, you're robbing them of something they were hoping was going to be a really cool fulfillment. You know? The, the prosperity, for instance, spoken of in the Old Testament, where God was bringing the, the it's not even prosperity, but what he was bringing riches into his house. He, to, to tell someone that that has a spiritual application or spiritual reality, and it does not, doesn't apply to your bank account. It doesn't apply to what you call gain in this realm. The natural man feels like you're taking something away from them. When in fact, God is offering you the the substance that painted all of those natural pictures. All right, well, I say all that because it shouldn't be a question for us any longer, at least for us who are in this room. It shouldn't be a question whether the, the things in the Bible testify of something else. Of course they do. Which Which ones? All of them. All of them do. Because... This Bible was not written for the natural man to be read and understood with natural eyes. And I know that's what we do. I'm aware of that. This Bible is not beneficial for the natural man. I don't care if you read proverb, one proverb a day and apply it to your natural life. That doesn't mean that the Bible was written for the natural man. The Bible is a spiritual testimony of a spiritual reality that has to be read with spiritual eyes in spiritual light that testifies of a reality that you will experience in your spirit. And though you might experience natural pictures and testimonies and manifestations of some of the other things in the Bible in, in the natural realm, that's just because the shadows always align with the substance. They were created to do so. But that doesn't mean that the Bible is a book that speaks of natural things and how to be a good natural person and how to live a productive natural life. It doesn't. That's not what it's written for. The Bible is written to, to invite your soul out of that realm and to be found in Him. So there's no fulfillment. In, fulfillment is a word that doesn't make sense in the earth. Okay? Fulfillment is the gathering up of all shadows back into the substance. And that's what, he, that's what Ephesians chapter 1 talks about. That Paul talks about in the former ages and all these things, whatever testified of Christ. But now, in the administration of the fullness of time, God has gathered all things back into Christ. That's what he's doing. A bunch of testimonies came out from Christ... And, and now, in the, in the administration of the Spirit, the administration of the fullness of times, all of those things are gathered back into Christ. And we are gathered back in with them. So, it, it, I'm trying to settle the issue, and I know maybe for some of the newer people uh, that might be listening to this, this, this may be newer um, and sound strange or whatever, and, and I just, as I always do, say, take it to the Lord and... and uh, 
and let him settle the issue in your heart. But I hope it's settled with us. It's not, it's not a question of, you know, I wonder if this, you're reading the scripture, I wonder if this is talking about something that's going to be natural, like in the Middle East, or if it's talking about something spiritual. It's always. It's, though there be natural expressions or natural manifestations, the true and real fulfillment is, is spiritual. And so we must read the Bible. The Bible must be read. And I'm, I'm going to wrap up here. But the, the Bible, for, for, this, for, for, for this reason, the Bible has to be read as God's attempt to communicate with the human heart using, and this is what Jesus said too, but using parables, types, figures, shadows, symbols, patterns, copies. This is what the Bible is. It's putting into it's it's using man's words to invite into God's realities. It's using man's symbols, which of course can be read and applied to the wrong realm. That's why Jesus said, you know, they say, well, Jesus, why, why do you speak in parables? He said, so that hearing they don't hear, and seeing they don't see. And, well, what, what are you talking about? Well, you know, you can do these are these. I'm using natural words to to declare spiritual realities, and it's so easy for the natural man to hear natural words and apply it to the natural man in the natural realm. But let those who have an ear hear. Let those who have a different kind of ear hear, and 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 see something uh, beyond. Symbols and figures and parables and patterns and copies and types. Modern Christians are hesitant to talk about types and shadows. I think everyone to some extent admits that the Old Testament is types and shadows to some degree. I mean, I don't think anybody denies that Isaac's sacrifice, Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac isn't a type and shadow of Christ or the Passover lamb isn't a sacrifice, picture of Christ or David isn't a picture of Christ's kingdom. Um, but for some reason, well, I think, and I think the reason is because we're not very familiar with the substance. We don't recognize many of the symbols, patterns, and pictures, and so uh, we, you know, you'll read warnings in some books if you ever read these books. I've read them many times where they say, "Don't get too carried away with types and shadows." Because there's a real meaningful practical application to these scriptures. They're not just pointing at Christ, you know. <laughs> and I want to say that the only practical way to understand and experience these scriptures is to find in Christ what those things are pointing to. So I'll stop with that and. Um, <clears throat>